We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, two verses there, verses 11 and 12. Um, while you're turning there, imagine this with me. Uh, you have a little baby lion cub. You, you get this as a pet. Uh, it's cute. It's harmless. Uh, you decide you're going to take this little lion cub on a walk. Uh, you put the leash on it. Uh, you, you take it out. So with this little baby lion cub, if, uh, if it starts pulling away, chasing something, going after something, you're not going to have a very hard time of pulling it back on the right track, of, of pulling it back on the road. You have a pretty good handle on it. But as you know, a, a baby lion cub will, will grow into a full-grown uh, daddy lion, and you try to take that on a walk, on a leash, it's not going to be the same way. It will have control of that situation. If it sees something and it wants to chase it, it's going to go and it's going to take you with it. It'll drag you all over the place and it'll probably eat you. It will have control. And I think that's a lot of times how we, um, we see sin in our lives. We let it hang around thinking it's just going to be this little pet that we have. But it, it grows and it grows until it controls us. Until it devours us. We can't let sin control and destroy us. So looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, again verses 11 and 12. Uh, in this letter, Peter has spent a lot of time calling us to our hope in Christ calling us to live holy lives, to have a gospel foundation. And all that comes together here in verses 11 and 12 of, of chapter 2. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm going to read it one more time. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So the, the big idea as we look at these two verses today, uh, if you're a note taker, please write this down. If you're not, write it down anyway. It's very important. And it's very simple. Kill sin or sin will kill you. Kill sin or sin will kill you. And we see three reasons from this passage to kill sin. The first, because of who you are. We see that. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Just in the first uh, seven words here, we, we see who we are. In the first word, beloved. We see who he's addressing. He's addressing Christians, beloved, 
He's speaking to the fellow Christians that are around him. And then a couple of words later, sojourners and exiles. This is uh, something that has been a theme through this letter that Peter has written. It, it goes all the way back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So Peter continues this theme of referring to Christians as exiles. Elect exiles is used in verse 1. Sojourners and exiles here in verse 11. An exile is someone who is, is forced to leave their own country, who's driven out. They're on the move. They have no home. So when Peter is referring to Christians as exiles, he's saying that us as Christians, we, this is not our home. This, this world that we live in is not our home. It does not own us. We have a home in heaven waiting for us. We have our eye on something greater. And it's not the hope of this world. So because we are beloved, because we are sojourners and exiles, he gives us an instruction in the second, uh, kind of the middle part of verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. So because we are sojourners, because we are exiles, because we are beloved by Christ, he gives us this obstruction to abstain. What's abstain mean? Uh, by definition, it is to choose not to do or have something. So we are to choose to not partake in the passions of the flesh, in the things of this world. So he shows us who we are, now he shows us the instruction that we should do as Christians. Being of the world, have, or taking part in those things of the flesh, these passions of the flesh, that does not characterize someone who has their, their hope in something other than the world. If this world is temporary to us, we should look to things greater than the things of this world. Passions of the flesh characterize the people that are at home in this world. Unbelievers. As Christians, we should seek to have the strength to say no to these fleshly passions because they belong to the world and we do not. You turn over a few pages to 1 John. We're going to look at a, a couple of different passages in 1 John. The first one in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this passage in 1 John shows us that living 
for uh, the world and loving the world. The love of the Father is not in him. He says these desires, these sinful things that we are drawn to are not of the Father, but they are of the world. That's what our flesh desires. And this world is, is passing away. This world is not going to last forever. Don't just settle for putting your hope in these temporary things in this temporary world. As exiles, as sojourners, we are not to love this world, but wait for the hope that we have in Christ and eternal life. And by God's grace, He can save you from seeking things of this world, from these passions of the flesh. By God's grace, He can save you from the love you have for this world. What are these passions of the flesh? We could go on and on and on about what are passions of the flesh. But if you, if you go back to 1 Peter, and even in the first verse of, of chapter 2, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You think of things like sexual sin, greed, lust, gossip, pride. We could go on and on and on. These are things that our flesh desires from this world. If we are followers of Christ, if we are exiles of this world, we should kill these sinful desires. I'm going to read another passage from 1 John to you. uh, Chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. We're humans, so therefore we are sinful. There's no way around that. Because of the fall, there's sin in our lives. Being exiles, being Sojourners, beloved by God, that's not going to keep us from sinning, but should point us to Christ and His grace. So we see the the first reason from this passage to kill sin is because of who we are. The second, we see in the latter part of verse 11, it's because sin wants to kill you. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. 
So we've got this challenge, this instruction by Peter to abstain from the passions of the flesh. It gets a little more serious here, though, when he says, which wage war against your soul. So this is the image of our sinful, fleshly desires that are seeking to undermine us from living a holy life. Peter spent a a good chunk of of chapter 1 calling us to be holy in our conduct. And he continues that here. We have to be in constant battle against the sins of our flesh. They're waging war against us. We must wage war against sin. This is serious stuff. Great Puritan writer John Owen, uh, in his book, The Mortification of Sin, which I I highly suggest you reading that, I'm going to read a quote uh, I think is so good and does a good job of packing this all into a few lines. He says, Every time sin rises to tempt or entice, it always seeks to express itself in the extreme." Every unclean thought or glance would be adultery if it could. Every covetous desire would be oppression, and every unbelieving thought would be atheism. It is like the grave that is never satisfied. In this we see the deceitfulness of sin. It gradually prevails to harden man's heart to his ruin. Sin's expression is modest in the beginning, But once it has gained foothold, it continues to take further ground and presses on to greater heights. If we do not seek daily to mortify sin, we sin against the goodness, kindness, wisdom, grace, and love of God who has given us the weapons of our warfare. Just that last part. If we do not seek daily to mortify sin, we sin against the goodness, kindness, wisdom, grace, and love of God who has given us the weapons for our warfare. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 and what is a great picture for us of preparing for this battle with sin. Ephesians 6, 10-20 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. 
with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints and also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So he's given us what we need to fight. He's given us his word. He's given us his people. He's given us the spirit. The belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. You wouldn't go into war or battle or in a dangerous situation without being protected in some way. These are some of the things we can use for protection against the schemes of the devil. As, as even in later on in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, be so reminded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have to be ready. He gives us what we need in this fight with sin. Don't be passive in this war with sin. Passivity will lead you to darkness. Going back to the, the illustration at the beginning, if you're passive with your sin, and it starts out like a little lion cub, and it grows and grows and grows, and you think that you're just going to keep it tamed and, and control where it goes, but it grows and gets out of control, and you have no more control over it, and eventually the sin will devour you. Reject passivity. Go to war with sin. Don't let it overcome you. This is not something we can do on our own, in our own strength. We need Christ. We need His help to fight with sin. We said He's given us His Word. He's given us His people. He's given us what we need. He's given us the Spirit. What can the Spirit do to help us? How can... How can the Holy Spirit help us in our, our fight with sin. I've got four ways the Spirit helps us. First, the Spirit reveals to us the danger of our sin. So our, our Spirit, that God has filled us with the Holy Spirit, it, it reveals to us the danger of our sin. Second, the Spirit reveals to us the fullness of who Christ is. This is what helps us fight this battle with sin, knowing Christ, knowing what Christ did for us. So the Spirit reveals to us the danger of our sin. The Spirit reveals to us the fullness of who Christ is. The Spirit supports us when we cry out to God because we see the sin in our lives. The Spirit pushes us to that, supports us, in that. And the fourth, 
The Spirit is the author and finisher of our sanctification. We need the Spirit in order to be in this lifelong process of growing in Christ. The Spirit will help us do that and constantly working in our lives and constantly giving us grace to fight sin. He's given us what we need. Now we must fight. We must fight this sin as it wages war on our soul. So we've seen two reasons so far from this passage to kill sin because of who we are, because sin wants to kill us. The third, because your gospel witness depends on it. We see this in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we're called here to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorably. As believers, we're called to live a godly life. We're in a sinful world. Our godly life should be a display at all times to the people of this world. Verse 11 and verse 12 really work together right here. If we want to do verse 12, if we want to conduct ourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that they may see uh, when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If we want to do that, we want to conduct ourselves this way, we must abstain from the passions of the flesh. So they work together right here. You can't have one without the other. We have to, to go to war with sin as it wages war on us. We have to kill sin to conduct ourselves this way. Matthew 5 says we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We must let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. We must kill our sin to be a light to this world. I think it's important that we look at the word honorable that he uses, that Peter uses. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He doesn't use good or great or, or any other adjective here. He uses honorable. Honorable in the Greek translates to kalos, which is, is beyond just the idea of, of being morally good or ethically right. It's a goodness that commends itself by its attractiveness, by its nobility. So we should conduct ourselves honorably. We should live an attractive life to non-believers. So when they see the way we live, when they see our response to matters, they see the hope we have in the Gospel. And in turn, these non-believers see this, they want to be like this, so that they might glorify God on the day of judgment. 
the next line is so that when they speak against you as evildoers, we shouldn't be surprised when this happens, when people look down on us or ridicule us or are hostile to us because of our faith in Christ. This is going to happen. It's inevitable. It's going to happen in different ways. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond like the people of the world would expect you to? Or are you going to respond in holiness? So that you are living honorably. So that you're reflecting this attractiveness in your conduct. And you, you make them think, wow, they did not respond the way I thought they would. And will in turn make them ask questions and learn and grow so that they can glorify God on the day of visitation. I don't want you to think I'm just saying that the way you act is going to bring someone to Christ. That's not at all what this is saying. But our actions should back up what we're saying with the Gospel. We should speak the Gospel, but also live in a way that is holy. And will show people the hope in God that we have. We're on mission every day of our lives as followers of Christ. Our goal is to see as many people as we possibly can glorifying God on the day of visitation. We should be taking the gospel to our friends, to our family, co-workers, neighbors, to the nations. But if we aren't living a life to display Christ and conduct ourselves in a holy way, what will make anyone want to follow Christ? What will make anyone want the hope that we have? Ask God to help you live an honorable life. To conduct yourself in a holy way. So that we can live out our mission of taking the gospel to those who need to hear it. That they would hear that, that they would see their good deeds, and that they would glorify God. Again, Peter spent a lot of time calling us to personal holiness in abstaining from the passions of the flesh, living honorable lives. But it also connects to personal evangelism. Personal holiness and personal evangelism are connected and they are inseparable. We are called to holiness, to live holy lives, and we're called to live out the gospel. And these things must work together to glorify God. At times, I think we feel like we want to separate ourselves from the world as Christians. And that's, that's true in the, in the things that we partake in. We don't want to partake in the things of the world. 
But we don't want to separate ourselves. Because the world needs to hear the good news of Christ. The truth is, sin separates us from God. We're all sinners deserving hell. Thankfully, that does not have to be the end. A few weeks ago, Phil preached on verse 3 of, of 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope. We can have hope in Christ. It doesn't have to be in the world. It doesn't have to be in the momentary pleasures that this world brings. We can have hope in Christ. I've said multiple times today, this is not something we can do on our own. Nothing that I've said about fighting sin is something that I can do on my own, that you can do on your own strength, your own power. We must ask for help. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Call out to God. He will help us put to death the deeds of the body. These fleshly passions. So He, so we will, will live. Let's put these things to death. I know that we, we are all sinners. We live in a, a dark world. I want to call you to repentance. If you are living in darkness, if you realize that you are passive in your fight with sin, The only way we can live honorable lives through Christ is from what He did for us on the cross. Through His perfect life, through His death on the cross, through His resurrection. That is the only way we can live honorable lives. Repent. Ask God to help you. Conduct yourself with holiness to take the gospel to those who need it and fight this fight with sin so that your holiness will be evident to those who you take the gospel to. Fight or die. Kill sin or it will kill you. Let's pray. God, I pray we, we take the truth that we have seen in your 
word today, God, that we would we would kill this sin so that it would not kill us. God, that we would seek help from you. I pray that you would help each one of us in here to fight this battle of sin. It's in Christ's name, amen.